this message that the Lord put on my heart, he actually gave it to me uh, on Sunday while I was listening to Pastor preach. As Pastor was going over the story of Samson, the Lord just downloaded a word right into my heart. Actually, I leaned over to Pastor Evelyn and said, hey, I got Wednesday's message. And uh, I titled this message, Asymptomatic. And the reason I titled that is uh, in this past year, I think a lot of us have become familiar with medical vernacular that we probably didn't know beforehand. And one of those uh, terms that have come to be a lot more popular is the term asymptomatic. And what that means is when you are sick with whatever it is, but you're showing no symptoms. And in this case, over this past year, there were a number of people who were infected with the coronavirus or COVID-19 and showed no symptoms. And I think that became a big part of the problem, especially with people that I was talking to, whether they didn't have symptoms or didn't develop them. One of the issues that came with this virus is the fact that you could go days without showing any symptoms and be totally infected and be completely infectious uh, where you're spreading it and never know. And because you're not showing symptoms, what we notice is people didn't really care as much. And so you would hear things like, but I feel fine. Hey, are you sure you, you, you came in contact with somebody? No, it's okay. I, don't, I feel fine. I can still taste. I can still smell. And then three, four days later, they get the, uh-oh, suddenly I can't taste. Suddenly I can't smell. I'm having trouble breathing. I, I'm feeling ill. And, and then eventually the symptoms kick in. And what we started to notice and what I've noticed myself is people wouldn't take the virus seriously until the symptoms came. You know, and a lot of people were real relaxed with it. And I think that's why we saw a lot of spikes. A lot of people really didn't think much of it because they had no symptoms. And I say all that because I think a lot of times that's what happens to us spiritually, where there's an infection going on. There's an issue in your spirit. But because we see no physical symptoms, because everything is going fine in your day-to-day -day life, my job's going well, my family's going well, everything seems to be going well, so nothing is wrong. When all the while on the inside, you're not just infected, but you're infectious. And, and that eventually will manifest itself, or for some people, the bad part is if it never does if it's asymptomatic and you are hurting on the inside and never fully experience it on the outside. I thought about that because this pastor was talking about Samson in the Bible. And for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with the story, Samson is a judge. Uh, these are people that were appointed by God to help lead the nation of Israel. And as a judge, he has responsibilities. On top of that, he had vows that he had taken to be separated and anointed by God. And uh, he didn't use those responsibilities well. Matter of fact, he used his freedom to enjoy his own pleasures. And Samson had a lot of weaknesses in a lot of areas that were very public as you read the story. Probably the biggest one is he wanted what he wanted when he wanted. And in particular, that was with the ladies. And so if you want to look at a bad example of how to be in relationships, look no further than Samson. And because nothing was happening, because every time he would get caught in a situation, he would be able to rely on his old habits, his old strength. The Bible tells us that Samson was the strongest man to have ever lived. And so every time he got caught in a situation, he could get out of it. And because he never had any consequences, because nothing bad ever really happened, he figured, I can just keep doing this because I always get away with it. 
It's like the old saying, and I'm speaking to the choir here, for the procrastinator, one of the biggest issues with the procrastinator is success. When they wait last second, procrastinate, do the job, and then do it well, it reinforces this idea that I can wait last minute. And listen, that was my entire education. I was, was intelligent enough to not put in a lot of effort to take the test and do well on it. Only now that I'm older and wise do I look back and go, wow, if I was smart enough to get by without doing anything, how well could I have done if I tried? And so oftentimes we think, well, you know, because nothing is manifested, because nothing is happening, then nothing is wrong. But I want you to notice something. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Judges 16, because this is where we see the symptoms finally come to fruition in Samson's life. Judges 16 just a couple of verses, verse 20 through 21, but I do consider this some of the scariest verses in the Bible. Uh, up until this point, Samson was flirting with this girl, Delilah, who was obviously trying to trick him into finding out the secret of his strength. Eventually, he succumbs to her and he tells her the secret and she ends up cutting off his hair and he ends up getting captured and he thinks he's gonna be able to get away with it like he always has. And listen to what happens. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where they bound him with bronze chains and forced him to grind grain in the prison. I'd submit to you that Samson had these inflictions spiritually long before they manifested physically. That he was blind, chained, bound, a slave, and he succumbed to all these things long before he ever saw it in verse 20 and 21. And so I want to take a couple minutes just to look at it because I think they serve as a warning for you and I to self-examine. I love what uh, King David said. His prayer to the Lord was, Lord, examine my heart and see that there is nothing offensive in there. Right? He didn't just rely on the fact that everything seems okay. He asked God, God, look at me and see if there's anything in there. I think this should be a regular prayer, and it's a hard prayer. It's not a prayer I like to make, but if we can regularly go before the Lord and say, God, would you point out anything that needs working on? And trust me, the Lord will answer. The Lord will say, yeah, that anger issue, let's work on that. Yeah, that pride issue, let's work on that. That spirit of laziness, let's work on that. Yeah, that, that spirit of impetuousness, let's work on that. The Lord is happy to point it out. We're just not willing to open up. And so I think this is good for self-evaluation. And if you're taking notes, I want you to notice the first thing is that he was spiritually asleep even after he was physically awakened. The Bible tells us he was sleeping. Delilah comes in and she says, wake up. The Philistines are here to capture you. You don't realize you're asleep until you're awakened. Did you ever notice that? Dreams can sometimes be so vivid and so real that you don't even recognize you're in the dream until you wake up. And oftentimes there are Christians, believers, who are spiritually asleep at the wheel. Think about it. Let's, let's, let's be very honest. Have you ever just been driving and you've kind of dozed off? Not asleep, just asleep awake. Here's what I mean. You're driving and you got home and you go, oh, I don't know how I just got here. <laughs> I just, I wasn't paying attention and I just went through like four blocks. I made all the turns I needed to make. I was on autopilot. And there's a little bit of like, ooh, that was scary. I shouldn't do that again, <laughs> right? There are moments where we're awake physically, but spiritually asleep. And that's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter five, verse 13 and 14, 
But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Right? There are moments where God is trying to employ, hey, wake up. You are spiritually asleep at the wheel. You're, you're going through the motions, and here's the problem with sleep. You can do a lot while you're asleep. Right? Uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers, once said, this sleepiness in the Christian is exceedingly dangerous, too. Because he can do a great deal while he is asleep that will make him look as if he were quite awake. We can speak when we're asleep. I, I, when I was a younger child, and um, especially when I would get sick, I would sleepwalk. And I know I would freak my sisters out. I'd terrify them. And I would actually walk through the house, or at least I was told because I was asleep. I didn't remember this. But I was told that I would walk through the house doing math. I would walk through the house, two plus two is four, four plus four is eight, eight plus eight is 16. And it would freak my sisters out. Sometimes I would sleepwalk, I'd sit in front of the television and I'd rock back and forth watching the TV. I didn't know this. Honestly, I thought I was really mad because I thought they were teasing me. I just thought they were trying to make fun of me until one day I kind of half awoke and I was like, where am I? You could do a lot while you're spiritually asleep. You know, you could serve God while you're spiritually asleep. You could usher, you can be in the media. You can lead worship. You can preach a gospel. You can serve our children. You can do all the things that on the outside make you look like you're wide awake. And spiritually, you're knocked out. We can hear when we sleep. Every now and then, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you've ever been near somebody who was asleep and you talk to them and they respond back to you? It's the funnest thing. I had a friend one time, she was talking to her husband and he was complaining about the dinosaurs chasing him. And she's like, what dinosaurs? He's like, the dinosaurs, shut up, they're coming. And she had a whole, she recorded it and showed us all, it was hilarious, right? You can have a whole conversation because you can hear while you're asleep. You can walk while you're asleep. You can sing while you're asleep. You can think while you're asleep. You can function quite well asleep. And the whole world think you're wide awake. And church is filled with a lot of sleeping Christians who are on autopilot, they show up, they know when to stand, they know when to sit, they know when to lift their hands, they know when to say amen, they know when to close their eyes, and they know when to leave. But spiritually, they're dead asleep. They're not functional. Samson, he was asleep. He was going through the motions. He was still a judge. He was still a Nazarite. He was still doing all the things I guess he was supposed to do. But spiritually speaking, he wasn't living up to the standard. He wasn't acting the way a man of God should be acting. He was definitely asleep. So when Delilah woke him up, he didn't realize he was still asleep until suddenly he tried to do what he always did. And the Bible says he did not realize that the spirit of the Lord had left him. That is the moment where he spiritually awoke. One of the scariest things that can happen to you is the moment you realize you're not the believer you thought you were. Is the moment you realize that you are not spiritually where you want to be. The moment you realize Maybe God isn't as close as I thought. And it's not because God moved, it's because you stopped moving. This is a warning. We need to be careful not to be asleep at the wheel. The second thing is that he was spiritually blind before his eyes were gouged out. The Bible tells us that the Philistines came and they gouged out Samson's eyes, but Samson couldn't see long before that. 
If you, if you watch and read his story, Delilah wasn't the first lady. He had another woman who was his fiance long before that. Again, a woman that he shouldn't have been involved with, a woman that God did not want for him. And the Bible tells us that he goes up to his parents and he says, get me that girl, I want her. And his parents are trying to plead with him. You know, it's a foreign woman. You know what God's law says. You know we're not supposed to do that. Couldn't you find anyone among your people? And his response was, get her for me. She looks good to me. His whole decision was based on what he perceived and what he saw with his eyes. But spiritually, the man was blind. He couldn't see what was being pointed out to him, and he only saw what he wanted to see. And I think for many of us who've been in church, we've had a number of conversations with people where we're sitting there going, you seriously don't see what I see right now? You're not noticing what the enemy is trying to do. You're not picking up on this. And we are often blinded by our emotions. We're blinded by our pride. We're blinded by anger. We're blinded by the enemy. We're blinded by our own selfish ambitions. There are several things that can easily blind us from seeing what God is trying to show us in our lives. And if we're not careful, we won't even notice we're blinded. Psalm 36, verse 1 through 2. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Here's one of the greatest blindness we see with Christians, especially on the public sphere. We can see every sin out there and in other people's lives, but we are horribly blind to our own. Right? We could see every issue in every public sphere, on every public platform. We could see every issue in church with sister so and so and brother so and so, but somehow we are utterly blind to our own sin. And if we can learn to look to ourselves first, to take off those blinders and recognize, you know what? Yeah, my brother might have his issues, but if not for the grace of God, I'd be in the same place. Yes, my, my sister might be going through something right now, but if not for the grace of God, I would be where she is. Or, you know, yeah, this person is struggling, but I struggle too with that same thing. See, there is so much grace and mercy that can be distributed if we were only able to see how much grace and mercy has been distributed to us. But we are blinded to our own sinful nature. We are blinded to our own mistakes. And all we see is everybody else's drama. All we see is, oh, look how she's raising their kids. And we're like, have you seen yours? I'm not trying to be mean, but we're throwing stones in glass houses here. And I'm not trying to justify one sin for another. What I'm saying is when we take off the blinders, we can see that if not for the grace of God, none of us would make it. That we are all saved by his grace and his mercy. We are redeemed by the blood of the lamb, not by our own efforts. Samson was blind. He thought he could get away with everything because he only saw what he wanted to see. He didn't see how many times he was messing up. Think about this. God should have turned on him long before that. He broke his Nazarene vow long before his hair cut off. One of the other vows that he had to stay, uh, have was not touch anything dead. He ate honey out of a dead carcass long before Delilah cut his hair. But he couldn't see all the chances that God was giving him because spiritually he was blind. The third thing is he was spiritually restrained before any chains were placed on his arms. Or another way to say it, he was spiritually bound 
before any chains were placed on his arms. The Bible says that after his eyes were gouged out, they put bronze chains on his wrists. But they didn't need to put those chains. That man was already in bondage. That man was already a slave to his sins. Listen, Galatians chapter five, verse 13 says, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Samson is gifted. Samson is, is stronger than any other person. Samson is anointed and used by God. There is no denying that Samson was set up for success. But he was bound by his own sin. He was bound by his own selfish ambition, selfish nature, his own pride. He had freedom to accomplish so many things. And he bound himself. The Bible tells us to be careful about the sin that so easily entangles us. Oftentimes, we are tripped up not by the enemy, and I'm, trust me, I know the devil is at work, but sometimes we just give him way too much credit. Sometimes it wasn't the devil, it's you. It's me. Like, no, this is on me. I made that mistake. I, I saw the window, I saw the opening God had me, and I refused to go in it. Just like Samson, he kept having a way out. He kept getting grace. He kept getting mercy, but he kept going back into it. He didn't recognize that his freedom was not for him to exploit it and to do whatever he wanted. It was to help others. Literally, he's a judge of Israel. He's meant to help the people, but he only wanted to help himself. We need to be careful when we ask ourselves, what are you doing with the freedom that God has given you in your salvation? Because a lot of us have limited that freedom to the freedom of going to church. Oh, we heard it all year, right? Churches need to be open. We should be in there. And I was kind of giggling because, hey, a couple weeks ago we had bad weather, not a lot of people. The week after we had good weather, a lot of people. I don't know if it was the pandemic or weather that keeps people away from church. But I will say this, whether you're in the building or not, you have the freedom, especially where we live, to preach the gospel to reach people, to hold Bible studies, to talk to your family. Even if you are like, listen, I can't have contact with anyone but my family. What did you do to strengthen the spiritual temperature of your own home? Again, we, we have freedom to accomplish many, many things. But what are we using with that freedom? And don't blame the devil and don't blame the government shutdown and don't blame Belmont. Sometimes you bound yourself long before anybody else put chains on you. And the fourth thing, last thing that I noticed is that he was a slave to sin long before he was a slave to the Philistines. <laughs> he was bound and then he was put to push and grind grain. But he was a slave to sin long before the Philistines captured him. Listen, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. That's a harsh word. That's a harsh word, but that's a real powerful word to understand listen we have the freedom to live in Christ but so many of us are slaves to the sins that we choose 
And it is a sin that we choose. And again, I'm not excluding myself. There have been many times where I have found myself caught up in stuff, where I'm being pulled away from the Lord, and I'm going back to my old sinful nature. That scripture goes on to say, hey, it's no wonder why the dog returns to his vomit. Right? If you've ever seen a dog, it'll throw up and then it'll go back and eat it. And we find that disgusting. But God uses that as an illustration to say, but watch, you keep going to the same thing I set you free from. You keep having that same habit of running back to that person, of going back to that website, of going back to those individuals, of going back into that habit. God's saying, listen, I set you free. And the Bible says whoever is free is free indeed. You don't have to go back to those things. But so often, we find ourselves bound again. And I, and I love this picture because it's so easy for him to have blamed the Philistines. To say, well, this is the Philistines' fault. But if you notice, all up to this point, he had the power to defeat the Philistines. God had given him an anointing and a power to do what God had set him up to do. And yet, he wasted all that time on his own pleasure and on his own desires. He was a slave to what controls him. What controls you? What gets your attention more than God? Because oftentimes, that slave, I love that it says you're a slave to whatever controls you, because it doesn't limit it to sin. Oftentimes, we think, well, I'm not a slave to sin. Well, what are you a slave to? Because sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's just sports. I found myself in that cage every now and then. Sometimes you're a slave to your job. And a lot of times, well, you know, I, I got to work 60 hours a week to provide for my family. Take, well, you got a really nice house and a really nice car and you take a lot of nice vacations. I think your family has everything they need. The reality is you're working for everything you want. And what happens is you got all those material things for your family, but you sacrifice their souls on the cross for it because he spent no time with them. And, and I was talking to a, a couple of PK's pastor's kids the other day. Uh, I was uh, hanging out with them, and I said, hey, let me ask you guys a question. As pastor's kids, and now that I have my own kid, uh, what's something that was really important to you when it came to growing up as a pastor's kid? And both of them at the same time said, what mattered most is that they were there. My father spent a lot of time serving other people, a lot of time serving the church, a lot of time doing other things but he always made time for me. I'm telling you, you can be a slave to good things, but they're bad if it's not God. The Bible tells us we are a slave to Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If you can be a slave to Christ, trust me, Christ will bring your family in that. Christ will help you with your provisions. God will provide for your needs. God will handle everything because the Bible is clear about it. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added on to you. But the priority has to be Christ. Samson is a tragic tale of somebody who failed in every single one of those categories. He was a slave to the things that controlled him. In his case, it was lust, it was ambition, it was pride. He was bound long before he was ever chained. He was blind long before his eyes were ever gouged out. And he was asleep long before he was ever awakened. And if you stop that story there, it's horrible. But in this moment where the physical symptoms have finally manifested and he's finally gotten to that point where he goes, aha, I get it now. I love that God didn't turn his back on him. Because if you notice, in the very next verse, going back to Judges, Judges 16, verse 22, I've never noticed it the way I noticed this on Sunday, but listen to what the Lord, word of the Lord says. 
But before long, his hair began to grow back. Oh, I love that. Yep, Samson was messed up right now. His hair was cut off. The, the source of his strength, his anointing was gone. His eyes were gone. His, his freedom was gone. All this was gone. But before long, his hair started to grow back. It was a representation of God saying, I haven't given up on you yet. Oh, I love the infinite grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because let's be honest, not one of us in this room has that. We would have given up on ourselves long ago. Many of us have. And God says, no, because there's still air in your lungs. There's still a beat in your heart. There's still a purpose in your life. I will not give up on you if you are willing to humble yourself and repent. Okay, it's, it's not, you know, just, hey, I'm gonna do it just to do it. Samson had to go through it. Samson had to be humbled and he had to have a repentive heart. And if you follow the story, there's a moment where Samson is in chains between two columns in front of the, almost all the Philistines. He's being ridiculed. He's being mocked. And he cries out to the Lord in a moment of utter humility and says, God, give me strength to do your will one more time. Recognizing this is going to take my life. But what do I need a life if I'm not using it for the very purpose that it was created for? Powerful stuff. And the Bible says that the Lord anointed him once again with that strength and he was able to push those pillars over and he killed every single one of those enemies of God, including himself. But what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your own soul? He found the purpose in his life in that moment of surrender and humility. And when you discover that, you're not afraid of losing your life because you've already gained it. This is what I love about my Lord. And this is why I felt it was important to bring up this word. Because maybe you're listening online, or maybe some of you in this room, you gotten to that point where you realize, I've messed up over and over and over again like Samson. Maybe there's somebody in your family that you look at, and they've messed up over and over again, and you're already starting to write them off. I've had the honor and the privilege of being able to speak at a lot of summer camps where you get all these kids come out. And for many of these kids, it's an annual tradition. And there's moments where I have this powerful time with a kid at the altar. And, and I go to talk to his pastor and I say, hey, hey, one of your students, they had this great moment. We had this great conversation. And every now and then I'll hear the pastor say, yeah, he does that every year. And my heart breaks in that moment where I go, but what if this is the year? Yeah, it happens every year, but what if this is the year he gets it? What if this is the year she figures it out? Why are we so quick to give up just because we got fooled once before? Who cares? <laughs> so I wanted you to know, church, there's air in your lungs and there's a heartbeat in your heart. <laughs> there's a purpose in your life and God has not given up on you. So please don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on each other. Don't give up on what we're doing here as a church. We might have gone through a rough season this past year, but before long, your hair will grow back. Don't you stand with me because we need to pray because we can't do this in any way, shape, or form outside the power of the Holy Spirit. We need God to intervene. We need God to strengthen us. We need God to be the one to grow our hair back. So I want you to just begin to pray right where you're at if you're in this room and, and this applies to you or if you're watching online. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask you, would you see the humility of our heart right now, God? 
Lord, many of us, this was a, maybe a harsh word, but a necessary word, a reminder. Some of us, Lord, we've already gotten into that situation where we realize we've been spiritually asleep. We've been spiritually bound. We've been spiritually blind. We've been a slave to that very thing that controls us. And Lord, even now as your word has brought light to this situation, has illuminated the reality of our circumstance, God, we ask, would you have mercy on us once again? Would you have grace on us once again? Would you forgive us once again, Lord, and strengthen us and empower us to get back to the purpose for which you called us, to do the very thing we've been meant to do? Lord, we're so grateful for your mercy. We're humbled by your grace. And we need you, Lord. And Father, in that same vein, I pray that if this isn't necessarily our story, that you would help us to look to others with that same grace and mercy that you do. That we wouldn't be so quick to cast people off, to give up on our husband, to give up on our wife, to give up on our children to quit on our brother and our sister, to, to give up on our neighbors and think it's never gonna happen. That I've been trying for years to get them to come to church. God, maybe now it's time that you remind us that we are the church, that we could go to them, that we can preach the gospel, that we can live it out, that we don't have to be asleep at the wheel. Lord, we thank you because there is a purpose and a plan for this life that you've given us. That we weren't saved just to go to heaven but we were saved to do works, works that you prepared long before we ever said yes to you. God, help us to live up to that. Help us to live right by that. Help us to live a life worthy of the gospel, Lord. And Father, I pray, help us to be self-examiners of our own heart, to regularly go before you fully transparent and fully humble, and allow you to pinpoint areas of our lives where we're not doing so well. To show us where we're beginning to go blind. To show us where we're falling asleep. To show us where we're going back to that old sin. To show us where we're struggling again. God, I pray, help us to be humble and transparent before you. And allow you to speak into our lives on a regular basis. Long before it becomes a major issue. Because, Lord, we know that routine maintenance can prevent major overhauls. We know that if we can have this regular interval with you, that you will help us to live righteously, that you will guide us into truth and light, that you will help us to be what you called us to be. So, Father, we pray, help us to live up to that, God. Help us to be everything you called us to be. Help us to not wait until the physical symptoms manifest to understand that maybe there's a spiritual problem and that we would address it with you and allow you to do whatever needs to be done in order to make it right in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.